I want to thank Barry for that beautiful piece, which you might note in your program is one of his own compositions. Barry is a Renaissance man in every way. And I also want to thank thank little baby Arden for gurgling at the exact right moment as we were meditating about the creative spirit. I mean, really, well done, baby Arden. Thank you. We won't applaud because we might disturb him and startle him. But what a... um, What a beautiful moment of creativity in this community. We are, as you have probably picked up by now, uh, starting with the theme of creativity this month. And you can see here, again, Barry's beautiful painting about creativity. I encourage you to take a look at it. It is quite stunning and speaks to the creative power of the universe the creation that we are all a part of. Creativity as a topic for a month, uh, is, it's perfect for us actually at this particular time in our community's history as we are creating together this new double platform experience on Sunday morning. I mentioned at the 930 uh, platform that when we sang the opening song, it had not occurred to me until just that moment that singing about building a new way was particularly apropos for us. And, um, and I am grateful for the spirit of, crea- of creativity, of experimentation, of giving things a college try that everyone has entered into here for the next couple of months. It's a perfect topic at any time, really, creativity, for a community like ours. And it's also a little bit of an intimidating one. Be creative. You can talk about practically anything. It turns out that I like those little tiny boxes that I usually rail against. My kind of creativity comes in the form of coloring books. You know, the kind with lines. I have a really nice pack of colored pencils that I can use to fill them in. And I like to think that there's a creative moment where I choose which color... At least there is that. It's not color by numbers. That would be like the next level of need for organization. (laughs) But still there I am with my coloring books, with my coloring pencils, coloring neatly within pencils only so you can erase if you get outside the line too much and go right back in to that beautiful shape pre-created for you. I like to knit as well, but I knit only with patterns. I know a lot of knitters that create their own patterns. We have some in this congregation. And I'll say, oh, I I love this sweater. I wish it had a roll collar. Well, just make it up. Just make it up as you knit along. No, thank you. (laughs) First of all, because my roll collar would not look like your roll collar. But because I like that experience of someone telling me exactly how it should turn out and how to make it that way, and then I do it, and then it does. To me, there is nothing scarier than the blank piece of paper, the blank computer screen. Heaven help me if I had a whole blank canvas in front of me. No, I like craft kits and knitting patterns. I like to keep my creativity clearly contained within prearranged lines, except, of course, in my religious life. 
We are, all of us in this community, are a community of creators. We are co-creators of this place that we call home. I think sometimes about that merry band of folks in 1944 who started the Ethical Society here in Washington. Some of them were creating something they had heard about or even experienced themselves in St. Louis, where they came from. But many of them were creating something they'd they'd never even seen, something they perhaps couldn't even imagine yet but that they believed could come true if they banded together. And if you listen to some of those long-time folks, a few of them still in our merry company, if you listen to them talk about the time in the 40s, you hear that spirit of sort of, well, there we were trying to build something together, and we just, we kind of made it all up as we went along. There was no one to tell us what was right or what was wrong. We just created We have had those spurts of creativity all throughout our history in the 1980s and 90s when Mary Herman and many others created the liturgical year that we now follow, when we've had new adult education classes created or or new ways of being together, new Sunday school curricula, all the time we are creating. And very practically, too, actually, I, I was thinking about that especially as we have two platform services this morning about all of the volunteers and volunteer times that teams that literally create our Sunday morning, our our welcome team and our ushers, our green team that washes the mugs after we drink from them, our fabulous chorus, of course, and our officiants, our Sunday school teachers, our schmoozapalooza team when we have lunch, literally creating what we do together, creating the shared experience, and not just creating it from a craft kit. There is no coloring book for how to create an open-hearted and welcoming community. No, there is an aspect that is simply imagining it, building it, that continues in this congregation. No one is here to tell us exactly what a spring festival is supposed to look like. There is no liturgy handed down over centuries and millennia, no sacred texts that list precisely how we are supposed to create it. Instead, we create the ritual based on our own lives, our own experiences. We create the meaning. A couple of years ago, I, I had a little auction event that included inviting people. It was a, a philosophy auction event. And uh, I think I was supposed to opine about philosophy myself. Um, turns out I don't really know that much about philosophy. So <laughs> instead, I found an internet quiz. And, uh, and I had people take this quiz to figure out what philosophical group they fit in. And the vast majority of West folks were what is known as existentialists. Now, existentialism gets a kind of bad rap out there. You know, it's experienced in sort of broad culture as being this um, nihilistic, you know, nothing has any meaning. But, but actually, existentialism is the ability to give meaning, to create meaning wherever you are. Existentialism means that we assign the meaning in our lives. We say what it is that has meaning. We build it around us. 
I think about that beautiful song that so many of us love, the Peter Mayer song, Everything is Holy Now. Do you remember that one? That's an existentialist song. We get to say what's holy, what's sacred, what has meaning. That's what it means in many ways to create one's own religion, to be in a tradition that values creativity. Now, of course, there are some things that we hold in common, and they are important ones. I often talk about two kind of core beliefs, the idea that every person is worthy, every person matters, and the idea that each of us are connected to each other, that none of us stands alone. Instead, we are one community, both here and out in the world. And those core beliefs are important. They are what holds us together. But you know what they say, right? The devil's in the details. (laughs) Or sometimes, it's not the devil in the details, but God. Now, wait a second. You may be thinking to yourself, exactly how creative is Amanda planning to get today? (laughs) This is, after all, the Washington Ethical Society We are a non-theistic community. God isn't here, right? Is he or she or it or however you might describe that? And that's true, of course. Of course. Wes, like every ethical society, is a non-theistic community. That, That means not atheistic or theistic, but rather that, like many forms of Buddhism, we leave metaphysical questions up to the individual. We have no official policy is another way to say it, a little more Washington style. (laughs) No official policy on God or heaven or any of those big metaphysical belief questions. Instead, we come together around what we share in common. And this is not, I am happy to tell you, a platform suggesting that we do otherwise. I was in a new member conversation recently a whole group of new members around the table um, talking about the backgrounds that they came from, some of them saying they had come from a church or a synagogue and, um, and they missed that, but it wasn't right for them anymore. They were looking for a place that had some of what they missed without the things they didn't, you know. And then other people around the table talking about, um, talking about backgrounds that were traumatic or hurtful for them, that they were ready to leave all of that behind and find something very new. And then one new member said something that I hadn't heard or hadn't heard in this way before. He said, it's so interesting to hear where people are coming from and what their backgrounds are and what their journeys have been to this point. But I hope, too, that Wes is a place where we can be spiritually creative. Spiritually creative. A place, he said, for spiritual creativity. I loved that phrase, and I began to wonder whether it were possible or not. So, of course, I think back, right, to when Felix Adler founded Ethical Culture in 1876, uh, he, he founded it as a place for people of many different backgrounds and beliefs to come together. His founding address, which you can look up on Google, it's a great little essay, it talks about creating a platform broad enough for worshiper and infidel, 
which in 1876 was like a really big platform. You know, that's a lot of different kinds of people. And then he goes on to talk about how this will be a place, this platform will be a place for diversity in creed, we believe differently, and unity indeed. We act together with each other. Now, here at West and, and in most ethical societies, we generally focus on the unity indeed. We focus on what it is that we're doing in the world, how we want to live our lives, how we want to be with each other, the kind of world we hope to create with our work for justice. And, and sometimes we sort of push aside that diversity in creed. It's a beautiful thing about Wes, I think, the unity of deed, the way that we focus on our shared humanist values, the way that that creates for so many folks here who identify as atheist and agnostic, a place where they can feel safe, often as opposed to the broader culture where the kind of sort of Christian overlay feels as though it creates a space where atheists and agnostics may indeed not be welcome. That is important. It is important that we are a place that holds that safety. And it is important that we know how much we have in common. But of course, the reality is that we do also have differences, (laughs) We do indeed come from different backgrounds and different beliefs. And sometimes when you focus on what you have in common only, you can forget the importance that that diversity brings. We have folks in this community who identify as theist, as Christian, as Jewish, as atheist, as agnostic, and as humanist. I would say, in fact, that humanism can peaceably coexist with any of those other labels, any of those other ideas, that it is big enough and broad enough for all of us. But just the same way that we bring our cultural identities here, our gender identities, our racial identities, so too do we bring our religious identities, our backgrounds, which are different from each other. We talk sometimes about the importance of interfaith work here outside our walls. You know, we're members of the Washington Interfaith Network, and so we go and and go off to churches or to synagogues to meet with people from all different kinds of congregations, mosques in D.C., and we do a little bit of prep beforehand to make sure that we're ready and we know that they'll be using language different than our own. And then afterward, we all get together and we kind of like take a deep breath and say, wow, that's really, language is really different than our own. Okay. Yeah. And we think about how we can work together with them. One of the things I have been wondering about is what kind of interfaith work we might do within our walls how inter we can be with the very different faiths we might bring. There is right now a live conversation at West. Some of you may have heard about it or participated in it around how we can both welcome people from diverse religious backgrounds and from no religious background. Many of our folks come to us from totally secular backgrounds while still remaining a safe and welcoming space, still remaining non-theistic in our 
core as a community, still remembering the values that we hold in common. I say it's a live conversation now, but it's always a live conversation at Wes. It's something we return to again and again because it's part of what it means to be in a community like ours where people believe differently from each other. William Irwin wrote recently for the New York Times in a section called The Stone, which is a really lovely series of uh, essays about philosophy, essentially. He was writing about the importance of dialogue between theists and atheists, about the importance that they be at the table together and in conversation. And then he goes on, he says, This is not to say that we should cease attempts to convince others of our views. Far from it. We should try to unsettle others as we remain open to being unsettled ourselves. In a spirit of tolerance and intellectual humility, we should see ourselves as partners in a continuing conversation, addressing an enduring question. He could, I think, have been speaking to us here at the Ethical Society, partners in a continuing conversation addressing an enduring question. So the first step, perhaps, in being spiritually creative is being able to talk to each other about it, being willing to be at the table next to each other, being open to the possibility that at that table might sit someone who does not believe exactly as we do. It can be disconcerting, I think, especially for those of us who have found a community like Wes at long last, a community where we can be safely ourselves, fully ourselves, to find that not everybody has exactly the same self that we do. What a a surprise, right? What, What a shock. People have, in fact, different beliefs, different values, sometimes even Here's the big one, different political inclinations. How then do we stay in conversation? One of the things that we sometimes talk about here is the idea of allergies, being allergic to different words. I wonder if any of you can think of right now a word that you are allergic to. Anybody? I wonder how many of you will include a word I have already used in this platform address to which you are allergic. Yes, I see hands up in the background. Yes, I'm allergic. Right, spirituality. It was spirituality or creative? Which one? (laughs) Yes, we are allergic here. So many of us come with allergies inconveniently mostly all to different words. It would be great if you could get that together, just put a list together and agree on the five words that you're all allergic to. But no, no, we're all allergic in different ways to different words. One of the things I have shared in the past is the idea that, you know, there are two ways to approach allergies. One of them is to create a peanut-free preschool get rid of the allergy entirely so that you can be safe. And that's important sometimes, right? We want our preschoolers to be safe in peanut-free zones. I did that the first time, too. That's very hard to say. We want our preschoolers to be safe in peanut-free zones. And we want a community here that is safe for all of us. 
And sometimes there are allergies so big and so harmful that you just need to focus on being safe. And then sometimes, sometimes there are allergies where allergist, allergists, allergen doctors, can instead introduce little by little teeny tiny bits of the allergen over time. You know, you like smell peanut dust first. <laughs> and then months later, you might take a little lick of a peanut. Well, that too is a way to approach allergies. I was in a conversation recently with clergy, a group of clergy talking about race and racism, actually, a difficult topic, talking about how we could be fully in a difficult topic with each other and in our congregations. And, um, and the woman leading it, Lisa Ward, um, she talked about the importance of having competency in discomfort, I loved it, that phrase. It was especially apropos for the ministers because um, one of the things Unitarian Universalist ministers have to do is demonstrate competency in a whole variety of areas like congregational administration and preaching and pastoral care. And so she was asking us to add one more, perhaps the most important one of all, competency in discomfort. She said to get there, we had to exercise our muscles of listening questioning, and curiosity. I liked that idea, competency in discomfort, and wondered what it would be like in this community to be able to sit in that discomfort. So that perhaps is the first step to be able to talk with each other. That's the first step in being a spiritually creative community to listen beyond the language, to sit with the discomfort of the allergic word that you hear is meaningful to someone else, even though it is giving you the hives. Get your Benadryl if you need it. And stay in conversation, to listen beyond that word to what the person means so that you can learn more about the person themselves. Then, too, I think in a spiritually creative, or if you prefer, an ethically creative tradition, although I think that it sounds, it really sounds more like creative accounting, you know, like being ethically creative. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it. I asked for alternatives at the 930, and I'm not sure we got to a better, a better version there. So ethically creative, if you like. Then the next step is figuring out what it is that we want to be ours. What it is that we want to borrow or to keep from traditions that we grew up with. What it is that we are ready to be done with. If we're keeping them, how we might reinterpret that idea. And whether the reinterpretation is even possible. You know the phrase about not being able to put new wine in old wineskins. That is part of our task in a creative community to figure out which old wineskins are worth keeping around and whether we can freshen them up for our table and which ones simply don't fit. And of course, 
The answer for each of us will be different. (laughs) Our table will be decorated differently. Some of us finding that an old wineskin has exactly the patina that we hoped for, and some of us saying, no, it doesn't work at all for me anymore. It's only new wine in fresh decanters that I need. Even those of us without religious backgrounds, and that is so many of us now, more and more folks come to our community having been raised secular, without a tradition of their own, but they too are called to be spiritually, ethically creative. They too are building something. In a tradition like ours, we are asked to make things up as we go along to create the values that we hold dear, to constantly check our assumptions, re-examine our beliefs, and to realize that the result will be messy, outside the lines, that it won't look neat and isn't codified in some text. Although, as an aside, I will say... (laughs) We could have a whole other conversation about the traditions with codified text and the diversity that still exists within them. So often, I think we imagine, we in a more alternative tradition, imagine that within that, um, that set of canon, there is no deviation. But the lived adherence of other traditions would tell us differently. It's hard, I think, being in a tradition like ours, making things up as you go along, being asked to create our own spiritual and ethical lives, to create our own wisdom. And it's hard, too, being in community with people who are creating alongside us, sometimes creating together with us, but sometimes building a table that looks different from ours, that has different wineskins. I think, though, that the challenges of a tradition like ours, the challenges of a creative tradition, are precisely the same as its advantages. Obviously, for many of us, one of the biggest advantages of being in a creative tradition like ours is that we can be there with integrity. We can be here with our whole, full selves in a way that perhaps we have not experienced in the tradition of our childhood or in other traditions where we have journeyed. We are not asked in a community like ours to believe anything that we cannot We are invited to create only what our heart yearns for. And then, too, an advantage comes from that experience of being with people who are different than we. It comes precisely from the challenge of having set our tables differently. Our own beliefs are stretched, called into question recommitted because we are with people who believe differently than we do. That invites us into a deeper relationship, I think, with ourselves. 
And it's good practice being creative in our religious and philosophical lives and our spiritual and ethical journeys. It's good practice because the reality is that we are called to be creative everywhere in our lives. Patterns, it turns out, are only for knitting. And half the time they don't work for that anyway. (laughs) Coloring books only go so far in life. We color outside the lines all the time, or we have to make the lines up as we go along. It is good practice. M.C. Richards put it this way, that idea, all the arts we practice are apprenticeship. The big art is our life. I think in the end, we are the lucky ones. Well, I guess, of course, I think that. Here I am, right? We are the lucky ones. We have the beautiful responsibility of creating for ourselves what it is we hold most dear, what it is that we believe. Because we have created it ourselves, we can own it fully. We can make it our own. And then, luckier still, we don't do it alone on a mountaintop. We do it in community. We do it with people who have made decisions very similar to ourselves and other decisions that are different. And we get the fun of trying to figure out how to live together, how to be together, how to get to unity indeed with a true understanding of diversity in creed. How to create what it is that Felix Adler imagined all the way back in 1944. We are the lucky ones. I'd like to close with a poem this morning. It's by Leah Porpora, and it's called Beginning. In the beginning, in the list of begats, one begat got forgot. Work begets work. One poem bears the next. In other words, once there was air, a bird could be got, not taken, not kept, but conjured up. May we be a people that conjures up together.